Our keynote speaker today is somebody who brings 18 years of experience and passion, a passion for excellence in every endeavor to her work. She's known for her work ethic and her professional generosity. She views technology and new media as essentials in facilitating educational and societal change. She began her career in Chicago Public Schools as an elementary school teacher, more recently at the University of Chicago in a variety of roles, including educational technology. She has taught middle school computer science at the University of Chicago Laboratory School and was a technology coach at the Urban Education Institute. Her most recent position was at the University's Center for Elementary Mathematics and Science Education as an education technology specialist. Her current projects include facilitating a global education online community and conference, speaking at state and national conferences like this one, conducting workshops for professional development, developing content for an inquiry-based science program, and leading a mobile learning initiative sponsored by the Consortium for School Networking. I imagine she also has her own jewelry making business on the side. <laughs> She is an Apple Distinguished Educator and a Google Certified Teacher, and this morning she's going to help all of us discover the latest and greatest educational applications for iPads, iPods, and iPhones. So please welcome Lucy Gray and get ready to mobilize your learning. All right. Microphone. Oh, here it is. Um, let me turn this on, and then maybe you can hear me. Uh, how's that sound? Does everybody hear me? Okay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I am so thrilled to be here in Montana. This is my first visit here, and um, you're getting me fresh off vacation because I planned uh, a trip to Wyoming um, in conjunction with this. So my family and I drove out uh, about two weeks ago, and I left them and drove up to Montana, stayed with a couple friends in Livingston and Big Sky, and now I'm here with you. And I'm really, really thrilled to have had the opportunity to see a tiny part of your state. Um, I seem to be doing the end states this year. I've been to Michigan, I've been to Maine, I was supposed to go to Missouri, so now I'm here in Montana. And thank you for having me, and thank you, Wesley, for, for being part of that. Um, I really, really, really appreciate it. I'm going to inundate you with a ton of information. And I want you to be overwhelmed rather than underwhelmed. So that's part of my purpose here. And now you may have a week or two before school starts. Who knows? I, I know school's starting eminently. Um, you can dig through some of this stuff on your own. So everything I'm going to talk about is, I'm, why am I using this when I have this? Okay. Um, everything I'm going to talk about is on my website, which is www.lucygray.org. You can download my keynote presentation. If you have a PC, you can download the PDF version of it. All the links are clickable and that sort of thing. So you don't have to madly write everything down. Um, and if you have a question afterwards about something I've talked about, you can always email me or send me a tweet or whatever you are comfortable with, and I'll be happy to follow up with you. So you do need the www. If you go to the lucygray.org, it's not going to work. The guy who did my website did something funky with it. So you do need the www. I just want to make sure that I'm clear on that. Um, there's the information. Uh, if you don't know what this is, this is a QR code. 
And QR codes are something that's becoming big with mobile. If you're sometimes, I'm trying to think where you would see one, maybe in the airport, sometimes on posters in big airports, they have a QR code on advertisement, and you scan um, the QR code with your phone or your mobile device, and it will take you to a link with more information. You're going to start seeing more and more of these. Art museums are using them. I see schools are starting to use them, like in libraries. Uh, kids will do book talks and put them online in you know, video format, and um, librarians will put the book talk QR code in the cover of the book so that if somebody's interested in that book, they can scan it and see what other kids say about it. You know, so people are using these in very creative ways. So this is the QR code to my presentation. If you scanned it right now with your phone, it would take you there. Um, directly. So it's just another way of kind of hyperlinking to things. Um, another example of QR codes is, uh, that I've seen used in a very interesting way is I have a version of Around the World in 80 Days and it has about four QR codes on every page and you can scan it for additional information that explains what's going on in the book and that sort of thing. It's kind of cool. Um, another favorite author of mine is Tony Wagner who wrote The Global Achievement Gap which talks about a lot of things that you've been discussing, globalization and the need for creativity. Uh, in this new and changing world. And he's come out with a new book called, ooh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's on innovation and what what makes innovative kids. Um, and in his book, he has tons of QR codes that leads to additional content. So just to give you a little background on what that is. So I'd like to get to know you a little bit, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to do something a little hands-on here, and we'll see how you guys can do with this. Um, but I am using something called Pull Everywhere, and Pull Everywhere, for a certain amount of users, is free. I have a paid account so I can have more people participate. But it's a great way to use your mobile device as a clicker. As a, uh, a lot of schools are, are paying a lot of money to have clickers that go with their smart boards or whatever. This is another way to do it with your mobile device. It's platform kind of agnostic. And so what you do here is, on your phone, if you have one, um, and if you have a texting plan, because this is not, this is part of a, this is a, a text, you're going to, um, uh, we're going to do a little live poll here. Whoops. I guess I need to change my resolution on my screen. My computer's telling me what to do. Okay. Let's see if this will come back up. Okay. So, um, if you have a phone or an iPad that's connected to the Wi-Fi that you can text from, you're going to open up a new text in whatever device you use, and you're going to, um, the, the phone number or the address that you're going to text to is 2233. If you're on a laptop, you can do this with the address there, which is pullev.com slash Lucy Gray, or if you're a Twitter geek like me and Wes, you can tweet it to me. So in my two field, I'm going to put the number 22333, and in the body of the text, I'm going to put in the code of the role that I'm in. And I, right now, I'm not in the classroom, so I'm going to put in other. Woo, somebody did it. Yay, we have two people who have done it. And you can see the results live, as you obviously can tell. So I'm going to put in mine. It takes a minute. And you can see results really quickly. And I wanted to do this as kind of a fun thing for you to see how easily you could incorporate this into your class if you wanted to check how your students had understood a lesson. Um, this is something that you could very, very easily incorporate into your lessons and use with a variety of devices. 
Uh, one of the trends that we're seeing with mobile learning right now are bring your own device programs where schools are starting to kind of let down the walls around cell phones and are letting kids bring in whatever device they have at home. That's a huge trend right now. So this is one of those tools that you could use and not be platform uh, specific with it. So we've got, ooh, we've got three, you guys are good. You guys are good textures. All right. You never know. I was not a big texter until, I don't know, last year or two, really, honestly. So we have 35 people, and most of you are other, and a lot of elementary people, okay? So this is, uh, and then we'll do another one in a minute to give you an idea. So just to repeat how you do this, you open up a new text. The two field is the number 22333, and then you put in the code that applies to you. And I know this takes some coordination, so I'll give you a minute here. And then the results will populate live on my slide. Pretty cool, huh? This also works with, I just put this little gadget onto my computer and it will do it live in my slide. It also works with PowerPoint as well. I'm using Keynote right now. So we've got 40 participants. That's awesome. All right. So we have mostly elementary people. Yay. Okay. Um, and then uh, let me show you the next one. We have another one that I want to. Oh, there comes the high school people. They're coming. <laughs> All right. And then I have another one for you that's open-ended. And if you are using apps of any device and any, uh, you know, any kind of apps, um, I'm hoping that you'll share with us what your favorite apps are. And if you're new to this, you can just say, nothing, I'm new, I'm learning, I'll find something today. You don't even have to respond if you don't want to. But here you're going to text. Uh, this is where it gets a little confusing. You're going to make a new, a new text, and you're going to type in 2233 again. And in the body of your text, you're going to put the number 52. 066, and then you're going to say, um, you're going to say the name, you're going to, this is for open-ended um, answers, you're going to put in the name of your favorite app. And if you don't have one, you can make one up, you can say whatever you want to, we'll just experiment with this. And I'm going to put in Tunetastic, it's one of my favorite creative apps for kids, and click send. And you're going to see them pop up here. Evernote seems to be very popular. I love Evernote, too. I don't know if you... Okay, we've got some here. And we'll have a nice list of them. Trello. I don't know what Trello does. We'll have to figure this out. And in Pull Everywhere, there are different ways that you can look at it. You can change the look of things. Um, you can look at things in a chart. There's mine right there. And the links to these polls are in the materials on my website, so you can always look at this. Instagram is awesome. And if you want to tweet that out too, Wes, you know, other people from outside can, can offer what they think are their favorite apps as well. Um, last night I tweeted out very late, and somebody put in Evernote right away. So Evernote, if you haven't seen Evernote, it's great because it's cross-platform. A lot of apps are being developed to work on... Starbucks, yeah. <laughs> I had, you know what? I hadn't seen an app at Starbucks like in two weeks until I got here, I think. Or maybe it was in view. I can't remember where it was. But it was like fairly close. And I was, I was like, wow, I haven't seen a Starbucks in so long. Explain everything. is totally awesome for screencasting. So some of these we'll talk about here. Super duper data tracker. That sounds great. 
I haven't heard of these. And that's part of the problem with apps is that there's so many out there and who has the time to figure them out. So using social media and places where people have kind of vetted things for you can help you take the legwork out of things. Um, one thing about Evernote, Evernote is amazing on your iPhone, on your Blackberry, whatever device you're using. It's also web-based and you can take a picture or an audio file or whatever and it syncs it between everything. It's great for note-taking. Um, even with kids, it's fabulous. There's a whole Evernote in Schools program. Um, so you have to do the Slacker. Is that an app, really? <laughs> is there a Slacker app? Okay, so we've got some suggestions there, and hopefully that list will grow throughout the day um, as you learn. But I wanted to kind of get you involved in using your mobile devices to learn uh, this morning. Hopefully that will give you some ideas. Okay, we'll come back to that maybe at the end if we have time. Okay. Pandora, you guys are really hip. All right. Now, if I can move my slide, that would be nice. I guess just pull everywhere it wants to take over. Ooh, the flashlight icon is, un is invaluable. All right, let me try and get out of here. It's taken over. It won't take it will Okay, there we go. So, um, a little bit about my about me um, and, and my interest in mobile. I, one of my jobs is uh, as a consultant is is to work with COSIN, which is the Consortium for School Networking. And um, we're, we work with school leaders, superintendents, principals, that sort of thing, on initiatives that will help them effectively implement technology in their school districts. And so my initiative is called uh, uh, Leadership for Mobile Learning, and we, have, we write white papers and develop tools and that sort of thing. The link is up here. So that's one thing. And I've had the opportunity to interview and talk to people through our webinar series and through other things about what they're doing with mobile technology, not just iOS devices, but other ones. Um, I, ha I have to say iPads are the hot thing right now. Uh, they're definitely um, dominating every, all the conversations and all the pilots that I hear about. Uh, but in the context of this initiative, I have to be kind of plat platform neutral. Um, I'm also working specifically on a consulting basis with Mercy High School in Farmington Hills, Michigan, which is going from a PC tablet one-to-one -one implementation. Uh, to a uh, uh, an iPad one, and they are buying the largest size iPads, and it's costing them about $800 per student. The families fund that. It's a private school. Um, their PC tablets costing $2,600 though before, with all the insurance and the software and that sort of thing. So that was the most shocking thing that I learned from this initiative. And I'll talk a little bit more about this at the end. But this has also been kind of my sandbox for playing with teachers. And, um, and, and professional development and supporting teachers in, in implementing mobile learning. Um, but as you know, it is kind of an overwhelming world with all this stuff. And as I was driving through Montana yesterday, I was thinking about this video. Um, and you may have seen this before because it is old. Here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. Uh, this is the most, the, the most hilarious video I've ever seen. Let me start all over again here. This man right here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Hold them together 10,000 half-wild short hairs. How did you get that? cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning. Right here. You look at his face. They just ripped to shreds, you know. You see the movies, you hear the stories. I'm living the dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. 
it ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and hand off to one of them, they ain't sleeping like in the world. So this is an ad for EDS. I have no idea what they do exactly, but I thought it was, it's been out for a while. I thought it was hilarious, and it made me think about what's going on in schools these days. I mean, you guys are expected to be cat herders, right? Uh, with Common Core coming down the pike and, and, and improving test scores and all this pressure, there's a lot to figure out, and especially with educational technology. So hopefully today we'll kind of set the table for you, give you some ideas that's reasonable and not overwhelming you completely. Um, but I know that it's, there's, a, there's a wild west out there in terms of the work that I do. So um, I want to tell you a little bit about my trip that I was taking with my kids. And, and um, uh, we did uh, a little, I did a little project, and hopefully they'll respond today, or other people will too. This is a tool called VoiceThread. And I, I did this completely on my, well, almost completely on my iPad. And you can create uh, a slideshow. Has anybody ever used uh, VoiceThread? Okay, awesome. This is a really great tool. There are school descriptions that you can get, that sort of thing. Uh, but you basically upload slides or pictures or video, and people can comment on them. So last night, like I was, I always work on these things with last night. I'm never happy with what I have here. And uh, a guy named Paul Davidson, who is works for Discovery Education in his whole area, he's like, who got the iPad in the car? Great trip. He left a comment on here because I put it out on Twitter. And then I responded that we had three iPads, two laptops, and four iPhones in my car driving out here. And um, and then um, my friend Jim Harmon weighed in and said Minecraft is so addicting because I had said that my kids we're playing Minecraft the whole way here. And we made them look out the window, I swear. Um, so anyway, you go, you'll see pictures in here of our trip. And my idea, I was trying to get this done before my kids got home at a reasonable hour. So that last, they, they just got home from the trip in Chicago last night. Um, I was hoping that they would uh, add some comments to it, but I think that's like wishful thinking because it was, it was too late. But other people have gone in here and have commented. And what's cool about VoiceThread is that you can comment with a phone call with um, video, with uh, audio recording, or with typing, and you can do that kind of drawing on it like a Monday morning quarterback kind of thing. So the link to this, if you want to look at it and comment on it, is in the resources I sent you. But I did this all. All the pictures for mostly were either taken with my uh, SLR and put into my iPad and edited on my iPad with iPhoto, or, um, and then I uploaded everything using into the VoiceThread app on my iPad. So creating kind of rich multimedia projects um, right from that device is possible. And so I just want to kind of give you an idea of what this looks like and what you can do with it. And you can play with it on your own when you have access to a device. Uh, the link is up here and that sort of thing. So here's a couple of things that we did. Here's my daughter, Julia. Um, and I was playing with some photo editing app, and she's listening to her iPod and playing a game or something in the car. Here I am at Hidden Falls and... and, and um, in Jackson Hole, of course, we had connectivity that far down. We weren't hiking too high up. Um, and yeah, it also gets into this kind of situation where, like, is this really, is this really appropriate in nature to be bringing out these devices? I think there's kind of a balance that we have to, to fit, you know, that we have to kind of think about in, in, the, in the wilderness. Um, and then there's my husband, Peter, at, at dinner, and I was, again, playing with a photo editing app. Um, we also used the iPad here to track where we were. We were in the middle of Rock Springs, which had no connectivity. Uh, wow, that was, and, um, and so here I'm trying to figure out how far we had to go till we got to um, Jackson Hole. We went to Frontier Days, and my son, this is a picture my son took with his iPhone. He got a hand-me-down, he's nine, got a hand-me-down, really old iPhone, the 3G. 
Um, and so he was very excited to take pictures. This is the first time we've all had our own devices to take pictures like that. And you can see where we were eating uh, or where we were plugging in every night, how many devices we had. It was a little much. And then my daughter was playing. I guess she wants to get married. She's 13. She's kind of dreamy. And she was playing with an app called Feltboard and, and did this little marriage thing. I don't know what that's all about. But um, we also use an app. It's hard to see on the left-hand side, but Audubon makes some really cool nature apps. And, and so we, uh, we found some birds and that sort of thing, and then you can email somebody a notification that you've identified this bird or you've found it in a particular location. So that's what that is. Um, in the car, I had to take a meeting on the way out here. <laughs> and here's my calendar invite from my meeting. Um, and then we use Siri a lot. If we're looking uh, on my iPhone, you can ask Siri, if, you know, where's Starbucks or whatever, and it will tell you. So we use that quite a bit. Um, in fact, uh, and my husband's a huge baseball fan, and he was using his MLB app to actually see live batting things going on, and it would tell you the trajectory or something crazy with it. It was just amazing what that app can do. Um, we were also using one called Road Trip Scavenger Hunt, which you can set up with each family member. Um, my husband's really competitive. Um, he didn't let the kids win. And you had to find certain things, like we had to find a bald man and things like that. And the last one that we ran into, which was really kind of a problem, was a prisoner or jail. And we didn't come across any prisons or jails. I think this is by the time we got to Jackson. And so we used Siri to see where we could find uh, the, the closest jail. And she responded, I did not find any correctional institutions. So we're still looking for a prison or a jail. Maybe I'll see it on the way to the airport or something like that. But um, it was a really kind of fun thing to make things interactive and make my kids look out the window um, while we were driving. We also use something called Foursquare, and Wesley can tell you all about Foursquare. I was following him. He was really close to us. I'm like, come down to Jackson Hole and hang out with us, because he was in Yellowstone. I could tell because he was checking in places on Foursquare. It's a location-based kind of game where you check in and you get badges for things. So I'm like on the Great Outdoors badge level two now because of all my outdoor adventures the past couple of weeks. Um, but it's kind of a fun way to see people in your network, where they're going, what they're doing, sharing pictures. Um, it's a great way to see where um, interesting things are in your area. For instance, we were in, in Iowa. We crossed the Illinois-Iowa border, and there was a four-square um, kind of, not ad, but kind of recommended place for Whitey's ice cream. And if you've ever gone to Iowa, Cedar Rapids, or not Cedar Rapids, but the, the Quad Cities area, totally awesome ice cream. So we went off, we got off, and we um, and had ice cream there. So it's kind of a cool thing. And all my, I, my, my son is a little young for Foursquare. I think he's technically supposed to be 13. I bet the rules. He doesn't have any friends besides us, so it's just being shared between us. But he's checking in, too. And it just made them much more and more engaged. So if you're curious about the kind of apps that we used on our road trip, um, these are some of them that we used that we recommended. Um, DMD is a really awesome one for doing panoramics. I can't say a lot about the Cheyenne Frontier Days app. It didn't really work particularly well. Um, we love to do the Kids Spot karaoke one where you sing along to silly songs and it records it and you can send it to people. So we did a lot of these things to kind of make our experience interactive. Additionally to this, when we go on trips, I also curate content for my kids from iTunes and iTunes U. So like when we go to, New we've gone to New York City once as a family and I, I download the audio book a cricket in Times Square for them to listen to and subway maps and things like that. So think about how you can create collections of content and apps 
for your kids to support whatever learning you're doing, informally or formally. That's kind of the message here. Um, I got kind of that idea from um, David Pogue, who's a New York Times uh, technology critic, because he came to our state tech conference and talked about how his library would put together books on a theme for their summer vacation, their local public library. And I thought that was brilliant. And I've kind of taken that a step further with content that's some of it's paid, some of it's free, but to kind of create, you know, a more enriching experience for my kids. Um, my goal with my children is to make them love learning, make them learn learning more than anything. And uh, and this just kind of brings it home. I was a little worried that there was a little too much technology going on in our house. Um, but I actually found my kids on this trip, yeah, they indulged in things. Like they love Minecraft and they were playing it in the car. They're building things in it in the car out here. But they were also totally engaged when they wanted to be looking out the window and doing the things that we want kids to be doing as well. So that said, let's talk about how you can apply this kind of stuff in the classroom beyond just games and having kids play um, in a kind of a passive way. And I want to kind of give you a balance between the fun stuff and practical ideas and also with planning. And I'm going to go through this really fast because I know that we have limited time. Um, we know what mobile, mobile learning is. It's learning a variety of content and skills anytime, any place with a small device light enough to be carried in one hand. Um, these are my kids, Henry and Julia, a couple years ago. They're using a splitter called a Rockstar uh, to listen to uh, an iPad or iPod. Um, they were listening to a story at the doctor's office. So in my questions that I'm, I'm really interested in pursuing are how can we personalize learning? Um, how can we have learning happen beyond the school day, beyond the school walls? And how can we potentially bridge the digital divide with these devices? So think about that stuff as we're going on. If you need evidence and stuff to take back to your school, these are some resources that will help you. Um, one is the National Educational Technology Plan, which came out in 2010 and is really gaining some momentum. Uh, it calls for a mobile device for every kid. Uh, it doesn't say what the platform is and that sort of thing. And uh, it's a, an important document for your, your superintendent or whoever to read. They are now doing something called Connected Educators Month in conjunction with this. And that's happening here in August, connecteducators.org. There's tons of webinars and free online learning events for teachers this month to get people connected, connected to data, connected to resources, connected to each other, because it will empower your teaching. I think Wes and I are, are proof of that. I mean, we, we've been connected for a long time uh, in ways that, you know, are kind of mind-boggling, I think, at this point. Um, but we, we want to see more teachers, you know, out leveraging the resources that are widely available outside of their, their siloed schools. Another resource is Project Tomorrow, which will uh, let you give a survey to your students, and they use that data to lobby Congress for educational technology initiatives. You get an aggregated set of data for your school, so it's really, really handy. Um, and there's usually a lot of mobile questions, a lot of STEM questions, and you get a good picture of what teachers, parents, administrators, and kids think and are doing with technology. So their report is also very helpful and addresses mobile issues quite a bit. Another piece of data that's helpful is the K-12 Horizon Report, which talks about new and emerging technologies that should be adopted in the next couple of years um, in, in the three to four year range and then four or five years on out. This is published every year. I've been on the advisory board for it for a couple of years and it's a really, really useful document when you're trying to save your district, we need to move forward. This is what 21st century teaching and learning looks like. Um, and then this, this one really surprised me. This is the National Association of Secondary School Principals, and they came out last year and said, 
we need to leverage mobile. We need to leverage Web 2.0. And so I really like it when I hear national organizations say this, and they get it. This is not going away. And so I think it's really important, if you're looking for more evidence, to, to look at that. Um, as I mentioned before, bring your own device is a big, hot trend. Um, because of budgets, because some people believe we need to have like, kids use whatever devices they have, just like in the real world, um, like adults do, that bring your own device is the model to look at. Um, Katie Independent School District in Texas has been a leader in this. Their CIO is Lenny Shad. He's awesome. I, he works with me on my coastal initiative. And they've done this. And they also have a pilot with fifth grade uh, smartphone um, uh, devices as well. And they've been very visionary in, in planning about it. Um, Weston, I know a guy named Gary Steger, who is probably one of the most vocal people in the world of educational technology. And he's good because he makes you stop and think and not just accept everything. And he thinks BYOD is the worst idea of the century, which I would not go that far, because I think he's, he's concerned about equity issues. And if you do a BYOD program, it doesn't mean that you don't provide stuff for kids who can't afford it. You still have carts of iPads or whatever to supplement. It doesn't mean throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So, you know, for the closing viewpoint, Gary's a good guy to look at. Um, if you're not familiar with this, the digital playbook came out in February from the government, and it's calling for all text to be digitized by 2015, which is really around the corner. So there's a great big of, a lot of flux going on with the publishing world and the, the platform and that sort of thing, and we can get into that. But be aware that there's a big push for this, which also means kids are going to have to have some sort of device to do this on. And I don't know what this means yet. I don't think anybody does. Testing also has to have, be happy online by 2014, from what I understand. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that may push devices into our kids' hands, whether we like it or not, and we need to think about it. Um, this is a little bit more about the playbook, but let's get to the practical stuff. How can we get this stuff into our classrooms and do some interesting things that's not just passive learning? And I want you to think about kids as content creators and as content curators, and yourselves as those in those roles. Because so much information is out there, you, we want to get you to scaffold it for your kids and help them find it and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, at a very basic level in, with apps and iPads and that sort of thing, you can do differentiated learning with apps. There are thousands of apps in the, in the, in the, in the, in the app store, probably over 30,000 now, I'm thinking. And in finding the apps that will help kids, each kid reach its potential and communicate and collaborate together is really important. Um, you can use apps and that sort of thing to support existing resources such as uh, if you have Discovery Education, United Streaming in your school, there's an app that supports the videos um, that are used through that service. Or BrainPop, which is very popular in elementary schools. They have an app that helps kids access the content on their and on that service. So I'm kind of going for some basic things with apps and iPads and, and that sort of thing, just some more sophisticated things. Another kind of basic thing you can do on these devices is research. And there are tons and tons and tons of apps that will let you do that. Wikipedia, uh, World Heritage, um, WorldCat, there are tons and tons of apps that will let you access content uh, in that regard as well. Getting a little bit more sophisticated, we have apps that really support STEM learning. And if you've never seen LeafSnap, LeafSnap is pretty cool. It lets you identify leaves by taking a picture of it. Um, Project NOAA and Encyclopedia of Life are places where you can collect uh, samples digitally of, of biological life and, and document in kind of an online encyclopedia type thing. So think about STEM and how that works with these devices. 
Feedback and assessment is also another area where we can use these sort of things. And we talked about, you know, having instead of using uh, a, a, a bot student response system, you can use something like Poll Everywhere. We tried that earlier today. But there's also things like screencasting, and somebody had mentioned Explain Everything that is one tool. I've seen kids um, do their math problems and explain it verbally and record it at the same time using Explain Everything, and then they email it to their teacher. And their teacher can really understand what's going on in their thinking as they are doing the math problem. So using these devices to, to collect assessment data uh, is really, really key as well. If you're not into Google Docs, you need to be. It's kind of a basic thing. And one of the things in Google Docs is forms. You can create forms like a survey type form and um, collect data that way too. And it's a little clunky on the iPad, but you can get the data collected. And so when you create a form and it comes with this pattern and everything, it's pretty cool, um, it dumps the data into a spreadsheet that's online and you can make it public or private and share it with people and that sort of thing. So think about that as a way. Um, I know a teacher who uses that for exit slips in math in her classroom. And she has it color-coded in the spreadsheet view some way so that she knows who needs to be retaught the next day, that concept that she just taught in class. Um, there are other things that are coming up, too, that I call app ecosystems that help you kind of manage this stuff. Um, one is a company called Route One, which is developing a database where you can customize spelling lists and, and kind of things that would be in, in kind of drill and practice type of apps. Uh, another one is um, eSpark Learning, which is developing kind of like scavenger hunts of apps, and, and they've kind of reviewed apps, and you can collect assessment data through these apps as well. So I think there's going to be more of these kind of ecosystem type things that will be between you and the, and the app store that will help you kind of figure things out a little bit better. Uh, digital Media Learning Centers is another use of these devices. And iTunes U, if you have not looked at iTunes U and iTunes in general, amazing, amazing stuff coming out of there. And um, there is a Beyond Campus section where you can download stuff from the Smithsonian and MoMA and places like that. And there's also a K-12 section which you can see what other schools are doing. And schools can now upload and have their own iTunes channels, and that just happened recently. So be aware that you could collect you know, stuff that your school district is doing. Um, and the one I'm thinking of is Blue in Kansas. They're doing some interesting stuff. Um, Blue, this one school district is really on the cutting edge of a lot of things. I'll have to think of the name of it. But anyway, so thinking about iTunes U and, and curing the content in there. If you have not looked at that, it's, most of it is free. It's totally awesome. Organization and productivity. When kids have a mobile device of their own, this helps them get organized and stay organized. I have a kid with executive functioning issues, and I cannot, she can, it, it's changed how she works, having a mobile device on her own. So think about this. Um, Evernote, we talked about Goodreader Good for annotating PDFs. There are lots of those out there. Uh, Quick Office, I think, was bought by Google recently. I could be wrong. Um, so lots of different apps that will help you with that sort of thing. Moving up my chain, um, cloud computing and Web 2.0 tools. Um, one of the tools that I recommend to schools that are trying to figure out how to share work is uh, Dropbox. And so you can share, you can create something on your iPad, share it into Dropbox, and then somebody else can access it. So thinking about stuff that's web-based, that's in the cloud, really, 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 really important with using your iPads. Digo is uh, a Web 2.0 tool that I love for bookmarking, and they have a browser that lets you do that. The other concept that's really getting a lot of buzz is the flipped classroom. And I'm a little skeptical about this, so just, just to let you know. But basically, it's putting videos and that sort of thing um, on kids' mobile devices and that they watch it or they access it at home. 
and they see the lectures and kind of traditional teaching as homework in video format. And then that allows your class time for lab work or hands-on or tutoring or more stuff that involves the teacher and, you know, the, the value. It, I think it kind of adds value to the teacher uh, in some ways. Some people are like, what's so, what's so new about this? I mean, English teachers have always told kids to go home and read a couple chapters every night and then come to school and discuss it. How is this new? So, and I, I was also in Singapore recently working with teachers there, and they were like, What's the big deal? They, this was not anything new to them. It was another kind of teaching strategy that a good teacher would do. So thinking about the flipped classroom model is something that you may want to think about. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but it's bringing a lot of buzz. Um, and part of that also is in part because of Khan Academy, which are screencasted lessons for mostly math and science. Uh, Bill Gates is funding a lot of this, and Con, uh, Saul Khan has been on 60 Minutes and that sort of thing. And you can download his stuff from YouTube or from iTunes U uh, and look at it. But this has been really getting a lot of play, particularly at the high school level, um, in this flipped classroom conversation. The textbook industry, this is because we spent a whole session on this, <laughs> because that's really, really changing. And you should know that in you can create your own textbooks now in with Apple's iBooks author uh, software. You create it on, the I, on a MacBook or MacBook Pro and then it's consumed on the iPad. And you can make books free or you can charge for them. Apple takes a 30% cut and then it pops up um, you know, in your, on your iBook store. There's also an iTunes U app now that lets you manage your iTunes U content and schools, as I mentioned before, can put up their own content to iTunes U for free. And you can create courses in it. So this is a course that's created using the TED lectures, and this one is on creative problem solving. So you watch a series of videos, and it's a place for you to respond and take notes and that sort of thing. Um, but this is a really, really new thing from Apple in the last, I don't know, six months or so, and you should be aware of this. Um, this is what iBooks author looks like. You can create pages and drop content in here. And what's interesting about this, it's not just a textbook. It's a multi-touch textbook. So you can put objects in there that you can manipulate with your fingers like maps. And um, an example of a, of a book that does this sort of thing is Al Gore's, um, what's the name of it again? Our Choice. And in Our Choice, I don't, don't ask me how to do it, it's magic. There's a picture of wind turbines, and you blow into it, and they blow. They, they, they move around. Um, and it's just amazing. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing book. You guys could create these theoretically. So iBooks authors kind of like the placeholder for content, for objects that you, teaching objects that you might use in other ways. Um, I think this is pretty high level, but, uh, but you know, I, I also like this because it's assuming that the teacher is an expert, that they know the content and that they can build this. And I like that. I like empowering teachers as opposed to giving teachers canned curriculum because we think they can't teach. So I think this is actually kind of a cool thing. Um, so just keep that in mind. You can also publish stuff in, um, this is iBookstore, which we talked a little bit about, but you can also in Pages, uh, which is Apple's version of Word, you can publish things in EPUB format, which is an e-book. It's not a multi-touch book, but it's a digital book that could be read on different platforms. So be aware that there, that capability is, exists. Um, you can also turn PDFs on any platform into other ebooks that could be read on read and various readers. And one tool that I really love for this is called EPUB Bud. So if you already have stuff in, in, in PDF format that you give to your students, you can upload it and it will be in digital format that could be read on lots of different kinds of e-readers. Uh, Inkling is another one that has an app on the iPad. 
Um, there are tons of them. CK12 has open, open source, open education resources, textbooks and that sort of thing. I, if people speak highly of it. I'm not sure if it's anything radically new, but the fact that it's open is really, really important as opposed to Apple stuff, which is a kind of a closed platform. Um, another one is Hippocampus, which lets you kind of build your own textbook, has different modules, and then you can kind of build your own textbook. All right, so I'm going to really quickly go through this. Creation and publishing, that sort of thing is really important with iMovie. Um, Edmodo is another one. It is a social network where you can share content safely with your kids. Huge, huge hit with teachers, okay? So that's probably the one from this slide that I would really focus on. People love Edmodo. Um, I'm going to go through this quickly because I know we don't have a lot of time. This is an example of kind of a high-level type thing in terms of content creation. This is a school in uh, Delaware, New Jersey. It's another Apple Distinguished Educator. And her kids are doing an, uh, an iBooks author book using content that they've created with these three apps. So they've made panorama videos and that sort of thing. And they've gone around New York City and they've built a book that's a tour of New York City using these digital objects that they've created. So I think it's pretty cool, having the kids do it. So this is what it looks like. It's in rough draft form. Here are the pictures they've taken and the content they've developed. And that's what the book will look like when they're done. So having your kids do something like that, I think is really cool. The other thing that you may not have thought about is there's peripherals you can use with your mobile devices. Periscopes are, uh, they used to be able to plug into your, you know, your computer and you could take pictures and, and put them on your computer and video. But now you can actually, um, there's a wireless version where it creates its own network between the, all the periscopes that you have in your classroom, I guess. And so when you take a picture with the Proscope, it shoots it out to all your classroom iPads all at once. And so I think you can use it in the field, you can use it in the classroom, it's pretty cool. Vernier and Pasco, who have traditionally done ProWare type stuff, are also diving into the app market and that sort of thing. I think we've only just begun to see stuff with them. My favorite new thing is called Life of George, which is a $30 kit from um, Lego. And you, it's for the iPhone or the iPad, and your kids have to create a, a, a picture um, on top of the iPad with the Legos that come with this. And I think there's a timing feature that you can take a picture of it and do all sorts of cool things with it. But there are all these kind of toy things that are coming out to work with iPads now. And I found two in the toy store in Bozeman, actually. If you want to play with them at lunch, I'll be, maybe Wes and I will get these games. That one's an air hockey game and one's a fishing game that, that look pretty cool. I haven't tried them yet. And then access to supplementary content. We talked about QR codes. There's also something called augmented reality, which puts content kind of virtually out there. Um, these are some pretty cool ones to play with. Um, you can create scavenger hunts. Uh, if you're going out and doing some sort of science thing in the field, you can create a scavenger hunt with this app called Scavenger. It's like scavenger without the vowels. Um, lots and lots of different things, and we could spend a whole workshop on that too. Here's an example of using uh, QR codes to, to give access to supplementary content. This is a picture in Flickr of videos. If you scan these, it would take you to a video on that particular element. Um, it's pretty cool. Pretty clever way of doing things. So I just love when people come up with ideas like this. Okay, so giving access, kids access to the stuff that's out there is really, really important. How much time do we have left? Ooh, we're getting there. Okay, I'm not out of time completely. Good. I know I'm going fast. I talk fast. Um, so now that we've talked about some ways to kind of jazz up your classroom and not just use these as kind of game learning centers in your classroom, 
let's talk about planning because I think you need to kind of get ahead of this as, it, as all these changes are coming to schools. And, and, and I've learned a lot from working with Mercy, and one of the things that Mercy and, and Parmesan Health has done is that they've documented all of their stuff and their initiative in a blog. And so they're being trying to be as transparent with families about how they're kind of working through things. For instance, they're trying to figure out what's the, what's the best workflow for people to turn in work and, and so that we're all on the same page. And so that also our kids who aren't going to iPads right away because their sophomore, juniors, and seniors still have a PC tablet. How do we find things that we can work cross-platform-wise? And so they've documented everything here for parents and students to, to see, and it's been very transparent in their communication, which I think is absolutely vital. They also have an incredible leadership team that's really committed to making this work and to making every teacher participate to some degree. And they've had professional development that's been informal that people can do on their own over the summer. Um, they have contractual language in, in their contracts now that say you have to do something, but it's not overwhelming. They don't want to overwhelm the teachers, they just want to push a little bit to get them on board. Um, Canby School District in Oregon has been using iOS devices, a variety of them, for a long time. And again, they've documented everything that they've done in this wiki so that they don't have to get private phone calls from people about how did you do that. So particularly for IT folks, this is a great place to look for things. They've also done innovation grants, which I think is a brilliant idea. Teachers come up with an idea about how they're going to use the devices, whether it's a digital camera or an iPad or an iPad in the classroom. They put forth a proposal. If it's accepted, they carry through with the proposal, and then they have a symposium at the end of the school year where they show off what they've done to the school board and the community. Um, and all that is also documented on their wiki. Um, having some sort of curricular framework in mind, too, is also important around 21st century teaching and learning. Apple has this thing called ACOT 2 that talks about 21st century skills and challenge-based learning, something that you may want to look into as well. So when planning, these are kind of the areas of focus that I ask people to think about. Make sure that you have your ducks in a row. I would actually recommend having a collaborative document or wiki or some sort of device to, to, for your planning team, if you're going in this direction, to use to document what you'd like, you know, what your plans are in these areas. The more, the better you plan, the more thoughtful you are, the better you'll be in terms of this sort of thing, even if it's just a pilot, okay? And, and some of the things that I've learned along the way from my conversations with people is, um, you know, you want that leadership team is key. You've got to know your school's culture, what's going to be possible and what, and how your adults best learn. You have to kind of plan and iterate on that plan in order to get things going. And the outcome stuff is really, really, really important. Yeah, we want to see test scores go up, but that's not the only thing. Think about how you can justify your program, you know, increased attendance, increased engagement, what does student engagement look like? You know, but you need to have something besides the test scores, because technology, I hate to tell you this, is not a silver bullet to, to increase achievement. It's better teaching and learning, and technology can support that better teaching and learning. That's really what it's about, okay? Um, so thinking about the outcomes is really, really important. Um, you also need to rethink your policies, your acceptable use policies, uh, professional development. You cannot have enough of it in order to make this kind of stuff happen. And you need to have a robust network, too. So this may seem obvious, but kind of spelling these things out for schools and making sure that they have a kind of a checklist of what we need to look at, I think is really, 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 really invaluable. Um, so our challenge here is 
is to help our students power up and not power down. And this analogy is used quite often when I go to conferences. Oh, that's my alarm. I'm doing really good with time today for once. Um, so our challenge is, you know, when you get on an airplane, you're asked to turn off all your devices and to lock yourself into your seat, and you can't do anything until, you know, you land in most cases. And that's kind of what school has been like for our kids. These kids are using this stuff and leveraging it and learning in ways um, that probably would surprise us. And how can we bring that and empower them more in school to use the technology in positive ways? I think that's our challenge right now. Um, so, you know, there are tons of resources in these slides at www.listygray.org. If you're looking for more practical ways to do things, these are some great starting points. And I hope that you'll take some time before the school year starts to kind of dig in and figure out what you're doing with this. Um, the potential is enormous. Anyway, I think we have to move on to the next building, but I want to say thank you for having me. And if you have any questions, feel free to stop me, and I'd be happy to um, help you with any of this. And I hope this is giving you some food for thought. Okay? Thank you very much. <laughs>